بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته رمضان مبارك رمضان كريم The companions of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would spend six months in advance of Ramadan making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant them life to reach the blessed month of Ramadan. And they would spend six months after Ramadan had passed making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept their ibadah, their acts of worship in the blessed month of Ramadan. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the tawfiq to reach the month of Ramadan. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our acts of worship during the month of Ramadan. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us his mercy and forgiveness. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Now when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke about the month of Ramadan in the Quran, he said, subhanahu wa ta'ala, Shahru Ramadan alladhi unzila fihi al-Quran. The month of Ramadan in which was revealed the Qur'an. Allah defined this month not as the month of fasting, but as the month of the Qur'an. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Ar-Rahman enumerated so many of the blessings which he has given to human beings, the very first blessing he mentioned was that he taught us the Qur'an. Ar-Rahman allam al-Qur'an. In fact, the fasting that we do in the month of Ramadan should be considered, or one of its aims should be considered as preparing yourself spiritually, physically, mentally, psychologically to bear the kalam of Allah, to be able to listen to and understand the Quran, the spoken words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, Musa alayhi salam, when he went to Mount Sinai to speak with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and was given the Ten Commandments in the tablet form. Before he actually spoke to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he had to undergo 40 days of fasting to prepare himself. So consider it that the fasting in the day is a preparation for the main event of the evening, which is to hear the kalam of Allah, to hear the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to reflect them, to reflect on them, to understand them, and to mould your life according to them. In this audio series, we'll be taking a brief journey through the surahs of the Qur'an, and every evening we'll be focusing on the surahs which are going to be recited that evening in Salat al-Taraweeh, insha'Allah ta'ala. So we begin at the beginning, Surah al-Fatiha, the opening. This is quite simply the greatest surah in the Qur'an. It has many names, Al-Fatiha, the opening, because it's effectively the opening and introduction to the Qur'an. Surah Al-Fatiha is effectively a dua, a dua for guidance. And the rest of the Qur'an is a response to that dua. It's also called Ummul Kitab, the mother of the book. Because in essence, it's a summary of the entire message of the Qur'an. So miraculously, it's an introduction and a summary at the same time. Now, when you're reciting Surah Al-Fatiha, make sure you take your time. Because after each verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds. In Hadith Qudsi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that when the servant 
recites, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself responds, Hamidani Abdi, my servant has praised me. And when we recite Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds, Athna alayya abdi, my servant has extolled me or celebrated my praises. And when we recite Maliki Awmiddin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds, Majjadani abdi, my servant has glorified me. Now in these three verses is the essence of how to praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he deserves to be praised. There are four main aspects of praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. First of all, to praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of his sublime, perfect names and attributes. Human beings by nature, when they see perfection, when they see beauty, they want to praise it. And you begin Surah Al-Fatiha by saying, Alhamdulillah, Allah, Alhamdulillah. By using Lawd al-Jalala, this word, this name, Allah, it is a collective name for all the beautiful names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you're praising him because of his names and attributes. You're praising him because of his perfection. Number two, you're praising him because Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. He is the Rabb of Alameen. He is the Lord of the Alameen. The Rabb means here the creator, the sustainer, the nourisher, the cherisher, the one who protects, the one who the, the one who guides. So not only do you praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of his perfection, because you praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of gratitude that he is the one who creates you, sustains you, guides you and protects you. Thirdly, you praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you hope in his mercy, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. And fourthly, you praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you fear his punishment, you fear his accountability. Maliki yawmiddin. These are the four aspects of praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he deserves to be praised. Once you have praised him using his beautiful names and attributes, then comes declaring your commitment to Tawheed. You alone we worship and you alone we ask for help. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, when he was commenting on the miraculous nature of Surah Al-Fatiha, he mentioned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed 104 uh, divine books and he combined the knowledge of all of them into three. The Torah, the Old Testament, the Injil, the New Testament, and the Furqan, which is the Quran, of course. And then he combined the knowledge of all of these books into the Quran. And then he combined the knowledge of all the Quran into the short surahs at the end of the Quran. And then he combined the knowledge of all of this into Surah Al-Fatiha. And then he combined the entire knowledge of Surah Al-Fatiha into one verse. Which verse is this? إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ You alone we worship and you alone we ask for help. Within this verse are the two fundamental actions of the heart. Ikhlas, sincerity, singling out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for worship. And tawakkul. Trusting in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, depending upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now a person might well say, 
It would have been enough to say, You alone we worship. Why do we also say, You alone we ask for help? Isn't asking for help part of worship? So what's the need to single out asking for help? Well, one of the reasons discussed by the scholars of Tafsir is, when you say, You alone we worship, and then combine that with, You alone we ask for help, you are emphasizing that to achieve the first part, you're going to need the second part. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is teaching us humility. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is teaching us that we are not going to be able to achieve anything without his aid, his help and his support, including worshipping him alone. The only way we are going to be able to withstand the tests and trials of life, the only way we are going to be true to our covenant to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone is with the help, support and aid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also, some of the scholars of Tafsir explain that when we say it encompasses all the outward acts of worship, the salah, the recitation of Quran, the fasting, the zakah, the charity, the hajj. And when we say it encompasses the inner acts of worship, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for help, relying and depending upon him, tawakkul. And in a sense, that summarizes the whole religion. Outward acts of worship and inner acts of worship. Now we could go into so much detail. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse, the norm would be that the object comes after the verb. So the norm would be to first say, na'budu. But we don't. We first say, iyyaka na'budu. Now when the object, this is one of the Arabic grammar linguistic devices, when the object comes at the beginning, it emphasizes exclusivity. It's not just we worship you, Allah. It's you alone without any partner we worship and you alone without any partner we ask for help. Similarly, we could say, isn't worship and asking for help a highly personal act? Something very personal between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the plural is used. You alone, we worship. You alone, we ask for help. This emphasizes that our religion is a communal faith. To be able to fulfill our religion, we need to work together as a brotherhood, as a jama'ah, as a single ummah. And unless we work together as a single ummah, we are not going to be able to fulfill our religion. Now, when you have praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he deserves to be praised, when you have put forward your good deeds of worshipping him alone and asking for help, then you are fit to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what is the dua we ask for? Ihdina sirat al-mustaqim. Guide us to the straight path. This is such an important dua. Guide us to the straight path. That we make this dua every single day in our lives at least 17 times a day. But really, with the 12 rakah sunnah, it'll be 29 times a day. But really, adding on the witr prayer, it's 32 times a day. And in Ramadan, depending on whether you're praying 20 rakah or 10 rakah, you would be making this dua up to 52 times a day. We are so dependent upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for guidance. And guidance is simply the most important thing in our lives that we can ask for. That we have to ask him over 50 times a day. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. 
Guide us to the straight path. The rest of the Quran is a response to this single dua. Guide us to the straight path and begin Surah Al-Baqarah. This is the book whereof there is no doubt a guidance to the muttaqeen. We asked in Fatiha for guidance and the answer came in Surah Al-Baqarah with the rest of the Quran and elaboration. Ibn al-Qayyim mentions that this dua for guidance to be guided to the straight path, the extent to which we are firm and strong on the straight path in the life of this world will be reflected in the extent to which we are guided on the straight path in the hereafter. Which straight path is this? This is of course the bridge of Sirat which will be laid across the back of the hellfire. The extent to which we traverse this straight path without hesitation, with complete commitment, is the extent to which we will traverse that straight path in the hereafter which is the bridge of Sirat. Now what is this straight path? How does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala define it? Sirat al-ladheena an'amta alayhim ghayr al-maghdubi alayhim waladdalleen uh, the path of those upon whom you bestowed your grace, not the path of those who earned your anger or those who went astray. Isn't it interesting that that straight path is defined by the people who followed it in the past and the people who failed to follow it in the past. And in other hadith of the Prophet Allah explained, the Prophet explained who غير المغضوب عليهم والضالين are. They are the religions that earned Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's anger by not following once knowledge had become clear to them. And the dhalin are those who went astray because they worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without knowledge. But who are these people who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed? Who are these people who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed his guidance upon? Well, for that answer, you'll have to wait to the fifth night of Taraweeh. In Surah An-Nisa verse 69, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala defines the four categories who make up this straight path. Hada wa sallallahu ala nabiyyana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.